Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to the fourth part of our series, Soul Care. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. I want to preach today from a New Testament passage of Scripture. And my hope really is I want to give us a full picture of what I think is just a great gift that God has given us. So you guys ready? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. I have the right to do anything. That's what you guys said. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You guys say, food for the stomach and stomach for the food. And God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, someone say his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. I want to speak this morning from the topic of healthy sexuality, healthy sexuality. Come on, can we put our hands together for Jesus in this place? You guys can find your seat. And as you're finding your seat, why don't you say hello to someone and say, so glad you could be here today. Come on. Hey, so glad you could be here. Every person that is here at 11 o'clock, I was not expecting on daylight savings the 930 to be more full than the 11 o'clock. However, our church is just so holy. They were up at 4 a.m., I guess, in prayer and worship, and so 9.30 just seemed easier. Hey, hopefully our online stream is working. If someone tried to join us at 9.30 online, sorry that we cut out. We're on now because our amazing media team. So if you're in the chat online, thank them for getting us on. So we are in a series right now uh, called Soul Care. Can you guys just by, like, I don't know, round of applause, let me know if you guys have been here for any part of this series, Soul Care. So good. Hey, if you are new or visiting uh, and you haven't heard any message, no worries, you are okay. But what we've been doing in this series, pretty simple, we have been trying to get our souls healthy. That has been the biggest thing that we've talked about in this series. One of the things that we've said kind of in this journey to soul health, we have said that God has made us in a way where we are not just singular beings. We are one in the physical sense. However, what we have said is that we have both a body and a soul. We are not simply physical beings. Um, I'm not sure how many of us would believe we're just metaphysical beings, but we are body and soul. And what we have said is that our bodies and our souls, they work together. And if one or both of our body or soul are out of alignment, our life will be out of alignment. You guys remember all this? And so we've had a basic kind of theory that has taken us in this series. But what we have said is that the basic principle of an unhealthy soul, we said, is self-worship. So if you want your soul to be unhealthy, make it your life all about you. Give total and complete control to your feelings, to your emotions, to your body. We said that is the quickest way for an unhealthy soul. And kind of what we've critiqued is that we live in a culture that really actually encourages us to be all about us. 
we have said that's actually many times leads to an unhealthy soul. So what is the basic principle of a healthy soul? Well, we have said it is self-denial. And what self-denial is, it's not living like a monk, although if you want to be a monk, all the power to you. What we have said is simply that self-denial means what I feel on the surface isn't always reality. You guys remember this? So if I'm feeling something, that doesn't mean that I am something. I do not have to believe the lie that says I am just an anxious person. I am just an angry person. I'm just a broken person. What happens on the surface usually is letting us know that there's something deeper below. And I really encourage you guys, if you have not seen the last two messages in this series, to go back uh, and watch them because I think that what we did was some deep work to try and figure out, okay, what are some of the deep lies I believe that bubble to the surface? Now, last week we did, in the last two weeks, we've done this deep kind of shift in talking about lies and really getting our souls aligned. So it can kind of seem like a big shift where all of a sudden now we're talking about sex. Specifically, if your parents are close to you, you're like, Harrison, why are you talking about sex today? Um, The reason that I want to dig deep is because I have a very simple and basic principle for our message today, and it is simply this, sex matters. Come on, somebody, sex matters. Now, I don't have to, like, do a, a huge deep dive into our culture to let you guys know that we live in what I would call a hyper-sexualized culture. What hyper-sexualized means is that everything and anything in some way connects back to sexuality. If you go on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, for my my, my older people, (laughs) you can't, and this is is 11 o'clock, it's usually not recorded. But it's recorded right now, so I can't. I was going to say, I usually go wild at the 11 because the cameras are off. <laughs> but then I realize it's on, so I'm going to pull back. Anyways, <laughs> we live in a hyper-sexualized culture. And what that means, because our culture is so heavy on sex, anywhere from sports, politics, fashion, it's everywhere. And so what that means is every single one of us, we have a picture of what we think or believe sex is all about. The question I want to ask is, do we have a robust, and even more so, do we have a good picture of what healthy sexuality actually is? And I think if we're being honest, many times when it comes to church, we often sort of take that kind of head-in-the-sand approach, meaning like, I know it's everywhere, but they'll figure it out. Probably, like, you don't want to talk about it in church. It's kind of awkward if the pastor says, like, S-E-X, ew. So people just figure it out. Now, I happen to believe that there are two primary places in which both God uh, intends us, I don't know why I said both, but both of them in which God intends us to learn about sex. I believe first and foremost, number one, is in our homes. I believe that is the parents' responsibility first and foremost. Uh, But number two, I believe it's the church. I believe the church plays a role, specifically, the church should exist to equip parents and families in order to have conversations on what healthy sexuality looks like. But a lot of times, and there's a whole bunch of different reasons, it doesn't matter if you're 40, 50, 60, a lot of times, sex can kind of make us uncomfortable. 
And so we sort of just push the talk away. It's like, I'll just wait till they're 13, 14, or when they're married, we'll talk about it. Or the alternative, like, they'll just, they'll learn some way. They probably already know. They don't want their mom. They don't want their dad talking about it. Uh, but I believe the culture that we live in today doesn't afford us the option to say they'll just figure it out themselves. Statistics let us know that boys today, by the age of 11, the average boy will be watching or have watched pornography. And a lot of times, again, conventional wisdom was like, well, we have the sex talk when they're 13, 14, high school, whatever it may be. But if boys, who, who are starting younger than girls, but if a boy is watching something at age 11, what that means is at a very young age, they are getting a picture of what they think that sex is. And again, the question is, is it a healthy picture? And outside of the extreme, which we'd call pornography, I would say social media is becoming a place where it is pretty much like porn's little cousin. Uh, I'm going to say it. I wasn't going to say it. I was watching Chris Rock, um, his stand-up comedy. Very interesting. I'm not recommending it because he says the F word every two seconds. But what he said, he said, you want to be famous? And he's not wrong. He gave a list of four ways to be famous. Number one way, he said, share your butt online. Simple as that. it's, It's recorded now. I've said it. But... That was an accident. (laughs) He's not wrong. He's not wrong. And so what I'm saying, and the point I'm trying to make, is that I think our job is to have a better picture of sexuality because we can't avoid it. And to be honest, you probably couldn't avoid it in any generation, but it's becoming more prevalent and relevant today. So I have good news, though, because two things. Number one, I think that God created sex which I believe is good news on a number of ways. Uh, And because God created sex, the second part of the good news is I believe that the Bible is not silent on the issue of sexuality. I believe the Bible actually paints us a robust picture. Now, the biblical version of sex, if you've been in church, you've probably heard this. The biblical version of sex is pretty simple. Husband and wife in the context of marriage. That's God's design for sex. Now, how I describe that is that's true, But that's also like saying hockey is a sport. That's true, but if I was going to explain the sport of hockey to someone, I would probably go deeper. I would paint them a bigger picture, especially if I wanted them to become a fan. But many times in the church, we kind of just stick on that surface level. Say, well, God's design in marriage, say no more. If you guys ever hang out with young people, they'll probably stump you with this. This is just youth pastor stuff. But they'll ask you, hey, where is the verse in the Bible that says you can't have sex until marriage? Do you guys know where it is? Anyone? If anyone knows, they're a liar. There is no verse in the Bible that says thou shalt not have sex before marriage. However, that's not to say that that isn't God's design. I think more so what Scripture is wanting to let us know is that it doesn't want us to take a very surface approach to sexuality. It wants to paint a robust picture. But instead, we often go to the surface when Scripture isn't even that explicit. Are you guys following? So what I want to do is I want to paint us a robust and I believe a beautiful picture of what sex actually is. So here's my principle for today. When it comes to soul care, if I want to have a healthy soul, I need a healthy picture of sexuality. Pretty simple. My picture will always dictate my behavior. 
Whatever your picture is on something will dictate your behavior. If I have a picture of a God that is against sex, that will in some way dictate my behavior. In the same way, if I have a picture of this idea, and this is where I think our culture is, that says sex is God, I will, once again, behave in a way that corresponds to that belief. But, as I said, both of those things, I think, um, are small-minded and not quite the picture we get in Scripture. So today, I want to dig into the Word and show us God's intent for sex. Can I do that? So... We're going to study the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, specifically chapter 6, but a little bit of an overview of the book of Corinthians. So a man named Paul, this is New Testament, he plants a church in a place called Corinth. Now, Corinth, if you want to know, like in one word, like what was Corinth like, they were wild. And they even had a phrase in that day to kind of like diss you if you were like a crazy person, like just doing stuff. They would say, you're a Corinthian. You're acting like a Corinthian. Right, Because basically in Corinth, there was this idea that sexuality and sensuality were that which was most important. In other words, sex and feeling good is life's ultimate goal. And I would say Corinth and our culture today have many similarities. Now, if you want to know just how wild the church in Corinth was... 1 Corinthians 5, which we're not going to today, we're going to chapter 6, but Paul has to call out someone in the church who has decided that he is going to be sleeping with his stepmother. In other words, there's a guy in the church sleeping with his dad's wife. Um, And I always say it like this, like, the Bible's not boring, you're boring. You just got to read it, because there's some crazy stuff going on in there. (laughs) So, uh, there's a behavior that that Paul addresses, Um, In other words, say, don't do that, which may seem common sense to some, not in Corinth. I was like, oh, we don't do this? Um, But before anything, Paul wants to challenge their beliefs on sexuality more so than even their behavior. Because if I just address behavior but never belief, I'll never have long-lasting results. And that's where I think in church we get it wrong when we just attack um, behavior instead of beliefs. So... 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, we're going to pull this apart and get a picture, I think, of God's intent for sex. So, Paul starts by saying, I have the right to do anything. At least that's what you guys say. So what Paul is doing here is he's quoting a common Corinthian saying. Now, scholars believe one of two things. Number one, this was something all Corinthians said, like it was just a Corinth saying, like, I have the right to do anything. Number two, scholars believe actually what they were doing, they were literally taking Paul's message of the gospel, this idea that we are free from the law, and kind of twisting his words to say, hey, because we're no longer under the law, we can do whatever we want. Irregardless, the origins of this saying don't really matter as much as the belief behind it. The people in Corinth literally believed we can do whatever we want. And even more than that, the people in the church believed they could do whatever they want. So Paul is addressing that. Is that making sense? So Paul isn't saying this. He's quoting them. So essentially, he's like, you guys say I have the right to do anything. But I say, this is Paul, not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything. But I will not be mastered by anything. And so there was this common rhetoric. And it wasn't just for sex it was really for anything but it was essentially I can do whatever 
I want. And no one should be able to stop us. No one should put boundaries on anything. Because they had this idea, as I said, that sexuality, sensuality, sensuality just means pleasure. That is the highest good. And so when I was looking at this saying, I have the right to do anything, I found that there were some similarities in terms of our current cultural sayings. Because we say things like, just follow your heart. Just do what feels good. Just do you. We say in a number of contexts, hey, it's my body, and so it's my choice what I'm going to do with it. And I think when it comes to all of these sayings, but boiling it down back to the Corinthian saying, I have the right to do anything. The truth is, especially when it comes to our sexuality, you and I, we can do whatever we want. There is a great truth to that. You are free to do what you want. Now, of course, there are certain laws in place. But for the most part, we can do what we want. And I think this is important, especially when we understand God's picture of sex. In God's ideal version of sex, listen to this, you can do what you want. That's important. But Paul, as he's retorting this belief, he says, but not everything is beneficial. As I said, you guys today, and maybe I'm wrong, you can do whatever you want. I do not think you're going to be struck by lightning. If you are, sorry. But not everything is beneficial. He says, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. So then what Paul's about to do, is he's going to kind of switch to food. And he uses food and sex interchangeably here. So he says, and he begins to critique another saying that they had. He said, you guys say, food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. So the Corinthians had this saying, pretty simple. Hey, listen, food was made for the stomach, and my stomach was made for the food. And one day, God is going to get rid of both of them. Our bodies are here temporarily. I'm not here for a long time. I'm just here for a good time. Someone get me a chicken Big Mac. That's basically what the Corinthians were saying. It doesn't matter. Anyone try the chicken Big Mac this week? I had it on Tuesday night. Come on, somebody. But there's this idea that the food that I eat, it doesn't matter. Because the stomach for the food, food for the stomach, one day... Like, we're going to die, and one day our bodies are going to be gone. So, in essence, this belief that the the Corinthians had was this idea that is simply this. My body is a tool that needs to be satisfied. The Corinthians, I think, had what I call a low view of the body. My body is a tool that needs to be satisfied. And you can replace tool with my body's a machine or my body's just a physical entity that needs to be satisfied. And I'm going to do whatever I believe is best to satisfy those needs. Again, even simpler, I'm not here for a long time. I'm just here for a good time. And truth be told, hey, one day this body's going away. It's going to die. Who cares? Now, I believe that this worldview leads to something called hedonism. 
And hedonism is the belief simply, it's a big word, but it's a pretty simple word. It's just the belief that pleasure is the highest good and the proper aim of human life. That's all hedonism means. The, all that matters in this life is your pleasure. And this is where I would say that the Corinthian culture and our current culture intersects and probably agrees, even if it doesn't say it explicitly. Our culture believes, above all, what is best is that which you think is good, that which gives you pleasure. We're just physical beings, and so whatever this physical body needs for pleasure, that is what is good. The problem, though, with this worldview is that pleasure then takes the place of God. And if pleasure takes the place of God, what happens is that anything that gives me pleasure almost becomes divine. And this is where we see it most specifically when it comes to sexuality. I said it in the first service, which I thought was being recorded. This is one's being recorded as well. But if you want to get canceled in today's culture, the absolute best way to get canceled is to say something in regards to sexuality. Most specifically, saying anything in the realm of God has boundaries on sex. And the reason that is so offensive to our culture is because what you are doing is you are challenging and or condemning the cultural God. Does that make sense? And so what happens, and one of the things that uh, the sayings you guys have probably heard on the opposite end of the spectrum is something to the extent of, like, well, why do Christians even care what people do in the bedroom? Why do Christians care what anyone does with their bodies? And truth be told, if we are just physical bodies and all that matters is our pleasure, then we shouldn't care. However, if we are both physical and spiritual beings, then what we do with our bodies matters immensely. And sex is super important. So Paul continues, he says, you say, Food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. I love this. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. So right here we get what I call the high view of the body. What's the high view of the body? We are not just physical beings. We are created in the image of God. My body matters. It is connected to my soul. Can you go to the next slide? That's the high view of the body. We are image bearers of God. And what I think is so interesting, especially when it comes to our physical bodies, because what Paul says then, he begins to talk about the end times, the, the, the eschatological vision of our bodies. He says, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will also raise us. So if you didn't know this, I'll give you a quick picture of what the Bible says happens at the end of time. Now, Christians, because we wild sometimes, we disagree on like little details, but one thing virtually all Christians agree on is that there will come a time at the end of all time when God will bodily resurrect us. Meaning there is a time, and when we are in heaven, eternally, we are not just souls. We are body and soul. God's ultimate picture of redemption is actually going back to the Genesis account where God creates the body and calls it good. 
in the end, God will resurrect our body, redeem our bodies, and once again call it good. And so there is no version of us as humans where God does not intricately care about our bodies. Now, what's interesting, because Paul talks about food, right? You guys say food for for the stomach, stomach for the food. And so for the Corinthians, they had this idea that, hey, eat what you want, do what you want. Life is short, YOLO, right? That means you only live once. (laughs) But where we are with modern medicine today is we don't take such a low view on food. Because today, virtually all physicians, doctors, dietitians will tell you that what you eat is intricately important. There is no doctor that will say, hello, Jimmy, Here's your diagnosis. Your stomach was made for food, food for the stomach. Eat up, son. (laughs) Not one doctor will say that because modern medicine has let us know that our bodies are actually intricate devices. And what I eat doesn't just affect me in the physical, but it affects my mood. It affects my behavior. It affects how I sleep. It affects how I live. And so what I thought was so interesting about our culture is that we have a high view now when it comes to food. Food's important. Food affects your body. Haven't quite got there with sex. Instead, we take the route that says, hey, listen, whatever feels good is good. Pleasure is what matters. Disconnect everything else. If it feels good, it is good. Question, of course, is this true? So Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 6.15. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. And so Paul here is addressing the behavior because in Corinth, essentially they had this idea that said, hey, listen, physical being, physical needs. If you're feeling something, hire someone, let them satisfy the needs. You get in, you get out, no one gets hurt. Again, prostitution still exists today. But the way that we view sex, whether it's prostitution, whether it's pornography, whether it's hookup culture, whatever it may be, we kind of treat it the same way. Sister got needs, brother got needs, you do you. But Paul is critiquing this. And he's saying, listen, you are not just physical beings. He says, do you not know that you are members of Christ himself? I love this idea. Christ has reconciled us to himself. And so he says, shall I unite that which is holy with that which is not? And then what Paul does is he quotes Genesis. And he says, the reason we don't do this, he says, for it is said, the two will become one flesh. And so what I want to do here for a moment, because this is where Paul takes us. Paul begins to go back to the very beginning, book of Genesis. Paul is saying, listen, you guys are wild. But let me explain to you God's intention for sex. And so he goes back to the very beginning. And so what we see, 1 Corinthians 16, can we put the verse up again? Verse 6, Kyle, if that's you back there. Um, He says, it is said the two will become 
one flesh. So what Paul is quoting here, and I, I, I went back to this because I don't have the Genesis verses. If, if you have a Bible, you can follow along. But Paul is quoting Genesis 2.24. When God creates the first marriage, the first picture of healthy sexuality, God says the two are becoming one. So that gives us a picture of God's intent for sex. The second thing that we get is from, from Genesis 1.28. Again, I don't have the verse, but you can look it up when you get home. God says, hey, rule over the earth, subdue the earth. Then he says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. So in God's design, we learn, I believe, three things from the book of Genesis. Two are explicit and one is implicit. So I'll share the first two things when it comes to God's intent for sex that we learn from the book of Genesis. Number one, God's intent for sex is all about oneness. The two shall become one. The two shall become one. The second, when he says be fruitful and multiply, God's intent for sex is for procreation. So God gives two purposes for sex, oneness, procreation. Now, I think what's cool about it is that these two things that God gives us, one would be more physical, and the second would be more spiritual. So, procreation, pretty physical. This is just kind of like basic biology, right? Like, when you have sex, when a man and a woman, this is the birds and the bees for y'all, love each other, <laughs> and they have uh, intercourse, that is how babies are formed, right? That's how babies are made. That's just like, that's common sense. If you didn't know that, like, welcome. There was no bird that dropped you off. So God gives us a physical reason for sex. It will procreate. But then he gives us something more metaphysical, something more spiritual. And I think something far, not, not I shouldn't say far more beautiful because kids are pretty beautiful. Come on, somebody. But something equally, come on, something equally as beautiful, this idea of oneness. God has given us a tool when it comes to sex that actually helps bind us together. Now, truth be told, anyone that has ever had sex, anyone that is in a marriage currently right now, you will know you do not physically become one. There's not some weird transformer thing going on where you become one person. So clearly, this is not strictly physical that he's talking about, but mostly there is something that is happening on a spiritual plane, something that is unseen but altogether beautiful. We are literally becoming one. Now, there's a physical aspect that's happening, which is, I think, cool as well. Like when people have sex, the males and females, like we release chemicals from our bodies that are literally bonding and binding chemicals. So that is physical. That's a physical oneness. But there is something about sex that binds us together and does this spiritual thing where two are becoming one. And I believe God's intention for, for sex and even further, God's intention for marriage, if I could describe it, would be oneness. What does God want in our marriages? God wants oneness. He wants unity. Now, sex is a part of oneness. It is not the full picture. And so come back next week because we're going to talk about healthy relationships. And I'll give us a fuller picture. Because if you just think, like, if we just have sex, we're one, that's it, yes. Not that easy. But... Sex is a gift that God gives us to help us become one. So those are the two explicit things that we learn from the book of Genesis when it comes to God's design for sexuality. The third, as I said, is implicit, but it's true nonetheless. 
With sex comes pleasure. That's just, that's just the truth. I'll never forget when I was in grade six sex ed class, we had a male teacher, someone asked the question, pretty simple question, does sex feel good? And uh, the teacher rolled open the little question, read it, and I'll never forget, has a wry smile on his face, and he said, yes, sex feels very good. <laughs> and I came here today to say, I agree. And so, you don't need a Bible verse to tell you that it feels good. Um, but if you want some scripture, you can head to the book of Song of Solomon, and you can read how they describe the whole thing. Um, parental discretion is advised. But once again, the Bible's not boring. You're boring. So, point is, all of these things, if anything, if I could even put it into a simple word, God's vision, God's picture for sex is binding. Everything about the whole act, everything about the experience is binding. And I think one of the ways, again, we talked about the oneness of sex, but even kids, kids are binding. People, you guys know this, those of us that, you know, have had previous marriages, even as those marriages end, if you have kids, you are bound. Right? You can't just be like, I'm never going to see that person again. No, you share kids, right? Everything in the whole design, it, it points to a picture that in God's design, there's something that is binding. Jesus, he doubles down in Matthew 19. He says, haven't you read that in the beginning, the creator made the male and the female? And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. So in case you're like, is Genesis really important? Paul quotes it, Jesus quotes it. So something there they want us to see. The two will become one. Jesus adds this. He says, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And so what I want us to understand is two things. Number one, God's picture for sex is binding. But number two, I also kind of want to help explain something for someone. For someone perhaps that's experiencing pain at the end of a sexual relationship. The reason there is a pain, regardless of what the relationship was is because you've experienced something that in God's intent was never meant to end. And so when I experienced that, which I was never even created to experience, there's a pain that comes with it. Now, I say that and, and I, I'm moving forward, but I'm gonna give us hope in a moment because I don't believe it is a pain that is forever. And I do not believe it is a pain that is a curse and cannot be redeemed, but I'll get there in a second. But before we get there, that's just, I'm trying to paint a picture of, I think, God's intent for sex. We cannot say that God didn't intend sex to be binding. He did. But it's not like a bound, like a chain, but I think more of an intertwinedness, a connection, a beautiful picture. So what does culture give us? Well, I think the cultural picture for sex, again, and I don't really think I have to fully convince you of this, but I think it's flipped and it's inverse. And I think when it comes to our culture, above all, first and foremost, sex is purely about pleasure. It's purely about physical. Again, I don't quite need to convince us of this, but I, I want to share just a couple of quotes. These are from magazines. Um, and I share these quotes because these are from magazines specifically targeted towards young women. Um, and one of them, Seventeen Magazine, I didn't look it up. Maybe young guys read it too. Don't know. <laughs> but you guys can let me know later. <laughs> Again, painting a picture, culture. What does culture say about sex? This is the advice. 
This is the beautiful advice of Seventeen Magazine to young girls when it comes to sex. Keep your hearts under wraps, or boys might find you boring and clingy. So in other words, women, ladies, young girls, you have needs, do your thing. He has needs, do your thing. But just make sure you keep your heart under wraps. You wouldn't want to fall in love when you're doing that thing. Again, we look at God's picture, and we must ask ourselves, is this even possible? Here's Cosmo. Cosmo, I guess, is a little more mature for older people. Again, here's some great advice. You want to wow a man after sex? Ask for a ride home. Make it clear you have no intention of hanging around and hoping for a relationship. This is just cultural pictures. Right? Hey, you, you want to be you want to be a pleaser? Tell the man, hey, can you give me a ride home? Now there's two lies here. There's a female lie, but I want to speak to men for a moment because this is a cultural lie that far too many people believe. I think a lot of times we have this idea that yeah, like sex, yeah, it's, it's not just physical, it is emotional, but that's only for girls. You guys know what I'm talking, you know what I'm saying? It's just girls that think that way. Guys are purely physical. They want nothing more, nothing less. I want to say from the pulpit, these are lies from the pits of hell. God has created both male and female to connect, to be bound, and we are not just physical. We are both physical, emotional, and spiritual beings. And so this lie and this myth that says I can disconnect my body from my emotions, from my heart, from my soul will leave a generation of people feeling bankrupt. And feeling like they have given parts of themselves away simply because they thought that's what they were supposed to do. They thought it was just a physical thing. And so secular culture, if we're, if we're going to rank it, I would say number one when it comes to sex, how do we view sex? Pretty simple, pleasure. That's, that's number one. And to be honest, I don't think there's really a number two. Because number one is so far and above. It's just... Whatever feels good, that is what is right. If you feel it, you do it. And again, that can go in a whole variety of ways. But like way down, way down, number two, we do have connection. Because we're not fully callous. And so some people say things like, yeah, if there's a connection, if, if the emotional matches the sexual, you might have found a husband. You might have found a wife. But, and I know you guys have heard this, but what happens, it's like, hey, listen, if the physical is really good and the emotional doesn't line up, you know what you found? You found the perfect friend with benefits. You found someone that you can just give your body to, but not your soul, not your heart, not your emotions. So connection, yeah, that's important in sex, but optional. Then number three, when it comes to the secular way that we view sex, Procreation. Again, even like stark atheist, whatever you believe, like you can't run away from the fact that sex leads to babies. That's just truth. Even as, even as much as we try to, you know, make ways in which we don't have kids, still leads to kids. But what happens in a hedonistic culture where pleasure is most important, if anything happens in my life that does not bring me pleasure or perhaps blocks my pleasure, then I must sacrifice everything to pleasure. 
And so if I view kids as something that blocks my pleasure, then it is something to get rid of. If you did not know this, I'll share some statistics with you. And I believe these stats really just paint a picture of how people believe. So um, unintended or unplanned pregnancies. These are pregnancies simply where people weren't trying to get pregnant, but they got pregnant. Um, Unintended pregnancies, 61% of them will end with abortions. This is a worldwide statistic um, from the World Health Organization. You can look it up. But 73 million babies are aborted every single year. And again, I I think it's probably a more nuanced topic. But when the number reaches as high as 73 million, there's something that we should probably look into deeper. The three most dangerous words worldwide, do you want to know what they are? Can I tell you? Three most dangerous words. It's a girl. Those are still the three most dangerous words worldwide because in countries such as China, India, so on and so forth, there is a vast mortality rate pre-birth and post-birth of young girls because they're unwanted and they're viewed in a way, and this isn't strictly sexually, but viewed in a way that it is not that which is desired. And if that which I desire is most important, then everything comes second. But what happens is we live in the unintended consequences of our worldview. Do you guys see what I'm saying? And so we can say things and we can take the pleasure package. Hey, I'll take the sexual pleasure package. Feels good, is good, everything is good, no boundaries, whatever. But the question I have to ask is, does my view of sex bring life? Simple as that. Is this life-giving? Is this holistic? And is it beautiful? Is asking for a ride home holistic? And is it beautiful? When I look at God's picture, I believe this idea of covenant, and as I said, come come back next week because I'm going to go deeper into this. But God's picture of covenant, of safety, of security, of, of, of binding, of forever, I think it's a beautiful and holistic picture. And I fully understand, listen, we, we live on the wrong side of heaven right now. And so I know there are people in this room that are dealing with this mess called life and trying to figure things out. But I want us to understand, especially for those of us that are at the beginning of our sexual journeys, any and all boundaries that God give us are never to inhibit us. They're always for our freedom. If you're ever struggling, this is not just sexual, anything when it comes to what perhaps God is calling us to do. God never calls us to do anything that will restrict us, but always that which will bring us freedom in the end. That's his heart. And so I want to get to 1 Corinthians 6.18, because again, I think this is where people start the conversation. But this is actually where Paul ends the conversation. He says, therefore, flee from sexual immorality. Right? Again, that's like the only conversation sometimes in church. Run away! But Paul first paints this picture. And and sexual immorality, immorality is the Greek word porneia, where we get our English word pornography. And so sexual immorality in the context of the Bible is anything outside of God's intent, which is, again, husband and a wife in the context of marriage. So he says, flee! He says, all other sins a person commit are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. 
I love this. You were bought with the price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Man, there's so much I could say on that. But I want you to understand something. Young men, young women, your body was bought with a price. You are not a commodity. You are not evaluable or unvaluable. You were bought with the highest price by the king of the world. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Why? Because you are not your own. The low view of the body. The low view says, I am just a tool to be used. And whether we know it or not, I know there are so many people that walk through life that say, I'm just a physical body. I'm worthless. I don't have any hope. I don't have a future. I don't have any worth. I'm just a tool. So whatever feels good, I'm just going to do it. I'm just trying to get through to the next day. But I want to say to you today, there's another way to view yourself. There's another way to view your body, that there is a God that is so good that created you so good. Every part of you has been created good. There is no mistake in you. There is nothing in you that God did not want to have in you. You are valuable, you are worth it, and you have a high calling on your life. And Jesus is a good father. That's the picture. And as a picture of a good father, I want us to understand there is nothing that God has for us that is not for our good, that is not for our freedom. You see, What I believe to be true is that when God redeems us, he doesn't want to redeem us in parts, but in the whole. He wants to redeem body, and he wants to redeem soul. And so I have good news. I told you I was coming back to it. If there's someone that's like, Harrison, you know what? I've fallen short, or or my life has taken twists and turns. I'm, I'm not ever where I thought I would be. Like, is there hope for me sexually, Harrison? Here's the thing, if you're, a, if you're just a physical being, if that's all you are, it's pretty hopeless. Because whatever you've experienced, whatever you've gone through, it's in the body. But if we're not just physical, if we're spiritual beings with souls, then I believe the God we serve has the ability to take, to redeem, and to restore anything, both, both body and soul. I'm not just a physical being. I'm a soul, and even more than that, I'm a son, I'm a daughter. And God's heart for us, not just one day when our bodies are physically resurrected again, but God's heart and God's hope right now, today, in this moment, is to experience wholeness, to experience healing, to experience oneness. I think the beautiful thing about God is that he can redeem anything. Come on, somebody. He can redeem anything. And so there is no situation too far. There is no person too far gone that God cannot make anew. But what we need to do today is we need to change our mindset. We need to change the way that we think. And so if there's someone here today that has viewed themselves as simply a tool to be used, a physical body that is simply an instrument of pleasure, I'm here to tell you in the name of Jesus, you are not a tool. You are not a machine. You are not a physical body, but you are a child that is loved by the Father. And so that is the the paradigm that we need to view ourselves. Am I a tool to be used? If If I take culture's way of looking at things, I'm just a tool to be used. But if I look at Jesus's way, that he affirms from the very beginning that we were created good, created in his image, and I'm a child to be loved, then two things, my life can be redeemed 
my body, my soul can be restored. But secondly, if I'm in the waiting right now, and it's hard in this season, it's hard in this culture to be in the waiting, I can be totally secure and know that God has something for me and that I will never be left empty-handed. God will never leave his children empty-handed. I hope you understand that. And so, can we just stand for a second, church, as we close? I just, I really feel in my spirit right now, I would just love to pray for us. So if every head could be bowed, every eye could be closed um, in this moment, just love to pray for you guys. Uh, If there's someone right now, if anything I said has has struck a chord in you, if you're like, Harrison, I just, I don't want to deal with this shame anymore. I don't want to deal with this hurt, this brokenness. I would love to pray for you. If there's someone in the battle right now saying, Harrison, like that picture sounds good, but man, it's hard. Wherever you are right now, every head bowed, every eye closed, could you just show me your hand? Thank you. Thank you. I would just love to pray for you. Thank you. Jesus, God, you see every heart. You see every single hand, Lord, and you know what we're feeling in our, in our innermost being. And so, Jesus, I'm praying right now for your Holy Spirit to speak in this place. I'm praying today is the beginning of chains breaking. I'm praying today there is someone that is saying no to the lie that sex is God. I'm praying today, God, in your name, in your mighty name, that there's someone today that is going to find freedom, that they do not have to walk in shame, that they are not broken, they are not less than, they are not missing something, but they are fully and totally full in you. So, Jesus, I pray that prayer for those in the building, God. I pray for someone watching online that needs freedom today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the redemption of sin. And thank you, God, that we are sons and we are daughters. We love you, Jesus, we pray. In your mighty, your holy, your awesome name. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to that message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus or you want more information about our church, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to get in contact with you. Until next time, take care.